It is wonderful to be here, genuinely. Uh, faith is rising in this church. Do you know that? I really believe it. I can see it, I can smell it, I can taste it. And it is a place of good soil. You know that? Poke the person next to you and say, you are good soil, brother or sister. We, I've lived 40 years in Western Europe. It is a hard place spiritually to live. And you come here, and not only is the sun always shining, not only are people like very smiley and friendly, most importantly, spiritually, you are living in a place of tremendous soil. And you might think you're not you know, on fire at the moment, and Tom, you don't know me. And I'm talking at a corporate, at a family level, there is something wonderful I truly believe that the Lord is doing. If you've got a Bible, could you turn to the Gospel of John in chapter 15? John chapter 15. The context that we pick up the story today about Jesus is a season of great change. Really from chapter 13... Jesus is getting his disciples ready for phenomenal cosmic change. That the Son of God has been on the earth. He's been ministering in power, but everything's about to change. And in the context of preparing his beloved 12, his family, his radiant, for huge change... He comes with extraordinary, eternal wisdom. I wonder what you're like when change comes your way. I don't know about you, but I, I like change as long as I'm in control of change. As long as, I, oh, I, I can change my phone now. I can get the free upgrade. I enjoy that kind of change. You know, or uh, I, I might go to a different supermarket this week. Let's try Save Mart. You know, I like change when I'm in charge. The change that I want us to taste which is really, really important. The change that these somewhat blundering but beloved men are about to experience is change that is coming to them. They are not in control of this change. Now, here's the deal. When in life, change, small c change, big c change, any change comes your way that you don't feel that you are in control of, inevitably it reveals what is truly going on in here. I don't know many things in life more painful and yet more revealing and therefore gloriously helpful ultimately than when change comes to you. And I think you guys have been and are in a season of great change. And the reason why is because I believe you're following the Lord. And therefore, when you follow him, you walk with him. The landscape changes. You don't stay static. You're called to enter into a river of life, not a lake. A lake stays still and gets stagnant. A river is exciting and moving, and you don't know quite where it's going. We are following the Lion of Judah. 
who is running through this glorious world with his purposes unfurling. He is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And you are following him. Hallelujah. You are. These leaders are doing their best to follow him. But what that means is they are having to confront change again and again and are having to cope with it internally and then trying to cope with it for everyone else. Why do things keep changing? Anyone here resonate with that? In your family, maybe with your job situation, maybe with your, your marriage, it's just gone great and now it's all weird and rubbish. And actually it's changed again. Or with your singleness, you were really enjoying it and then suddenly, boom, you're really not enjoying it and that's changed. Maybe with your parents. They've hit that age where suddenly they, they really need a lot of TLC. And things are changing financially, emotionally. Dare I say it? Politically. There's a lot of change that's happening. Oh, that went quiet. <laughs> stay away, Tom. Stay away. <laughs> Don't go there. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of change. Now, this is the deal. When change comes, it is painful. It is painful. And I just... I want to speak a very simple message today as we look at these beautiful, exquisite words that Jesus, the same Jesus who now walks amongst us today, in fact, who lives in your soul if you know Christ, the same Jesus yearns for you to be equipped, not just inspired, equipped to do well throughout your days. The Lord wants to speak over you, not just positivity and enthusiasm. He wants to equip you to become a mature Christ follower. I, I love someone recently, a, a lady preached in, in Canterbury where I, I used to live. And um, she made a brilliant point. She said, we often talk about being believers and that is a legitimate thing, but also we're called followers. Isn't that interesting? Followers means that we're following someone or we're not. <laughs> He's moving. He's walking. We walk by the Spirit. We keep in step with the Spirit. We follow Him. There's movement. There's change. So how do we be those who do well when change comes? As a church, I want to prophesy over the next 10, 20, 30 years, tremendous, God-ordained, glorious, but painful change. You cannot follow Christ and not experience change. You cannot become a better husband without changing. You cannot become a better wife without changing. But when he's changing you, when the potter is taking that lump off the clay and oh, he's putting that bit there and you're spinning around on your little pottery wheel, it's a painful experience. When your children who you love and you want them to be like this are kind of like that, that change that you can't control is painful. And what Jesus does, and I love the context here in John 13, to talk about change, what he does is something so simple. To set up what he's about to say, he does an action first. He takes off his clothes, not all of them, don't worry. Takes off his outer garment and he kneels. And before he speaks about change, he starts to wash their feet. Isn't that amazing? No, come on, that's amazing. The God of the universe who sustains everything by the word of his power. He comes and he gloriously does this. I love you, Trevor. I'm going to talk about some change. Okay? 
I'm going to change things. And I want you to be ready. How's that feel? It's good. Our Jesus, he doesn't come and demand. He doesn't come and say, perform. He doesn't even say, come and pursue me. He pursues you. He's the energetic one. He's the one who takes the initiative to come to this earth and to come and to do everything, to lay down his life. Isn't that glorious? He's the one who has the energy. He's the one who has the creativity. He's the one who knows what's going to happen tomorrow and is set it up and is excited about it. He's the one who comes and he says, let me prepare you for change and let me be closer than a brother, closer than a lover. Let me be the the closest person to you. And I love it. As they hear these words, to prepare them for change, it's like their feet would have been just listening. Yeah? I've been, this is like a, there's a bit of a desert feel sometimes in this part of the country. You know, it's a hot place, right? And my feet have, as an Englishman, they've experienced a bit of dust over the last couple of weeks. And when I have a shower at night, oh, it feels different to in England. It's like, that is good. That is good. I needed that. And and I get into the sheets at night, my feet just feel, you know that feeling? The hot day, dusty. And you're like, ah. And that's the physical feeling. They're sitting there thinking, this leader's amazing. By Jove. He's wonderful. He's just washed my feet. And he says, I'm going to bring the biggest change that's ever happened so far. I'm going to leave you. But listen, this is what he says. You ready? How do we do well when change, change comes our way? Verse 9 of chapter 15, you have it before you. I love these words. And picture Jesus, I think, with a really big smile on his face. He doesn't say that, but let's use our imaginations. He's washed your feet and he says, as the Father has loved me. So have I loved you. There it is. Now remain in my love. Now, no, Jesus, you don't understand. You don't understand what I've got on this week. Things have changed and I'm freaking out and I don't even know if I'm going to have a job this week. Jesus, I need to know a heck of a lot more than you love me and you're a foot washer. Okay, although that's great. What do you mean, as the Father has loved me, so I love you, now remain in my love? That's so mystic. You know, it's so mystical, it's so vague. I need practical, tangible plans that assure me that these, these changes that are coming my way, I can deal with. And I believe that as our heart pushes back that truth, and we go, that's not sufficient. It's okay. It's all right. I've heard it before. As the Father loved me, so I love you. Great. Jesus loves me. This, is, this I know. I've grown up with that. Everyone knows that, right? And you can live the whole of your Christian life like me for 20 years. And until change comes your way, until pain that comes through change comes your way, where you are forced to look in the eye the false loves that your soul goes to when they are taken away, when control is taken away, when comfort is taken away, when approval is taken away, when power. For me, this whole year has been a glorious cocktail of all four. As I've laid down leading the church, age 39, God said to me, your grace has come to an end to lead this church. Now gracefully hand it over to your best friend, who is far more gifted than you, Tom. 
he's really organized. I'm like, oh no, he's a great preacher, he's a great pastor, and he's organized. And he's smashing it. Now, when you're 39 and you're not 69, 79, retiring, maybe it's just me, that isn't the easiest pill to embrace that kind of change. And so I have kicked and screamed and had tantrums and got angry. My terrible suffering has an unparalleled in the universe. No one has suffered like me. I'm joking, by the way. As I have gone through that, when I've finally calmed down from my tantrums, I come back to chapter 15, verse 9. Suddenly, I start to get it. How do we deal with change when you can't control it, you can't stop it, and it is genuinely agony? There's two things that Jesus touches on here. There's one big truth and there's two ways in which we actually live in that place. The big truth is this, you remain in his love. You abide in his love. You stay in his love. Another way of saying that is you do not go into another place of experiencing fake love. Any kind of thing that can say to you, I will fill your soul with a sense of significance, worth, comfort, love. And there's a thousand different things that can do that. And they nearly all come through humans. You remain in his love. How do we remain in his love, Tom? Anyone here want to know how we remain in his love? What I love is that he says here this. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commandments, verse 10, you will remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, I'm not saying something that's just for you, Travis, as a mere human to have to learn. I'm, I'm telling you how I, as Jesus the human, stayed in the love of my Father. I obeyed what he told me to do. I did what he said. You see, sometimes we think of his commands as this sort of heavy weight. It says in the scripture, his commands are life-giving. They're joy-bringing. They're glorious. To obey our glorious, kind Father who has wisdom, who looks at your life and actually knows how you should function. He says, obey my commands. And there's two things he's getting at here. One, we need to accept his acceptance of you. We need to actually accept his acceptance of us through what Jesus has done. Look at that in a moment. And then second, that's kind of an us and God thing, right? We start there. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and everything you've got in you. That's the Tom paraphrase. You do that. Second part, which he touches upon here, is then how we actually live amongst other humans, which is where often the danger comes, where we start to slip out of living in the good of my Father loves me. He says here, remain in my love. Now notice what he says here. I think it's so shocking, it's so shocking that I think sometimes we kind of bounce over it because it feels almost heretical. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Let's just think about that for a moment. I mean, that, that is an accurate translation. That isn't just a kind of, you know, paraphrase. Jesus actually said, as much 
as I have been eternally the beloved Son of God. As much as knowing my Father loves me, when the crowds cheer me and when everyone deserts me, the rock of my life is my Father in heaven. He adores me. He's crazy about me. He bursts through and screams, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Just want to get baptized. He's almost the embarrassing father. He's like, Woo! Well done, son. You got wet. You haven't even done anything yet. You know, as we've been singing, you loved me before I did anything or whatever the words are. Jesus lived in that. Do you know that? Jesus was the eternal son of God, the beloved of the father. This is my father who I'm well pleased. It says later in the passage in John, it says, I love this in John 16. It says, uh, a time is coming, Jesus is saying this, and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Oh, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. See, Jesus was the perfect example of living, remaining in his love. Jesus knew what it was to be tempted, to get out of the love of the Father, to live in other places of, of receiving that sense of worth and significance. But Jesus is saying here, when change is coming your way, when change is about you, small c or big c, it is even more imperative that you know and you receive and you live in the good of where are you ultimately based. Ephesians says, mature Christianity is this, is that you are rooted and established in your identity as a musician. Oh no, as an identity, as a cool Californian. No, we are rooted and established in his love. Why? So that we will not be tossed to and fro by every different thing. If I was to ask your best friend, is she someone who is rooted and established? Does she maintain her poise? Or is she up and down and everywhere in between when things come and go? I wonder what they'd say. I wonder what my wife would say if you asked Josie, who's just going to the restroom, so you can't ask her, thank goodness. I wonder what people would say about us. Jesus says here, remain in my love. Remain in my love. I, um, for those of you who, who, who don't know, uh, we've been gearing up to coming here for some time. It's been about a three-year process. And we told the church in September in England that we were coming. And that was, at that point I thought, the end was in sight. Surely we'll be in Cali by Christmas. Oh no, visa applications are complicated things, are they not, Zaphire? These things are complex. And by November, uh, this email came through from a friend who just happened to say, oh, I've just checked the website, and even when you get it in, you'll be in at least for a seven-month wait. Now listen, at that moment, I had been experiencing so much change that was outside of my control from, will my kids be okay? What will we do about the house? What will our parents do when we take their grandkids away? What will our church do when we've been there for 20 years? And I, from the front, repeatedly said, I will never leave. This is where we're going to give our lives. Oh, footnote, unless God moves us. But everyone else heard the first bit. You know? You know I, I, everything. What will we... And all this changed. So when this news came, it was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And I just vividly remember, I just said, Joe, I've got to go. I got in my car drove out to this quiet spot in a, in a little village in the countryside near us, and I turned the engine off, and I burst into tears, and just cried and cried and cried. 
And then I reclined the chair and I slept for two hours. <laughs> I was exhausted. And when, um, when I woke up, I did feel much more refreshed. But I was immediately reminded by the Lord of a very powerful prophetic word that Tiff brought to me three years ago now. And in the word, the context was when I first came to this church three years ago. I was on my sabbatical and I was entering that time exhausted. Um, things were going well. But when things are going well, that's just as dangerous as actually when things aren't going well. Because you live a thousand percent beyond your limits. One more thing, one more thing. And what happens is your anointing and your fruitfulness just keeps opening doors. So you're like, oh, okay, we should be doing that as well. And you end up running on adrenaline rather than the Holy Spirit. That's what I was doing. It's, it's, it's a fa- the favor of the Lord. You know, you get addicted to the fruit rather than the Father. And I was very much addicted to the fruit. And I was exhausted. And I was... Anyway, and all the, I came first here in that season... And there were so many, I was physically conking out, and I was, it's my daughter Lily, and I was just breaking down. And uh, Tiff said, I, I had a word of, you know, the giant sequoia trees. And uh, I'm sure, <laughs> of course you do, what a stupid question. The, the giant sequoia trees, and uh, they, <laughs> they need fire, apparently. They used to think fires were a bad thing, and then they realized they need the fire. And they, they had for a season been getting rid of all the fires and the, the trees started to get diseased and they weren't growing properly. And they realized the fires were essential for the trees. They got rid of the insects. They got rid of competition. They opened up the canopy so the light could come in. They produced multiplication as the seeds were then released. And Tiff said, God, through the fires that I was experiencing three years ago, the fires of things being out of my control... So many things changing that I couldn't control. Those fires are actually meant to be there. And the Lord is wanting to thicken your bark so that you are able to withstand the fires. He's not going to take the fires away. But he's going to increase your bark, spiritually speaking, so that internally, as he gives you more of the things that he wants to give you, rather than you being unable to cope with the fruit, because actually, the more fruitful you are, the more things that are out of your control. You know that, right? And the Lord wants to produce tremendous fruit in your lives. But actually, the more fruit God gives us, the more things are beyond our control. And so often people reach their limits because we're still trying to hold on to them. And, and God was saying, no, no, no. I'm going to actually, I want to give you thicker bark so that as these things start to increase, as the fires of people who, who don't agree with that decision, who disapprove of what you're doing, who don't understand why those things are happening. As those fires of, of, of disappointment or things taking longer than you would imagine, or those people in your life that thought would be a certain way not being a certain way, as these fires of things that I could not control increase, rather than taking them away, which was my prayer, the Lord was saying, no, no, I'm going to actually thicken your bark, son. I'm going to thicken your bark so that inside you become indestructible. So that inside you are able to actually look at any fire and with humble confidence and faith in the goodness of God say, Lord, you've promised to be with me. You've promised that. You've promised that you will internally sustain me and strengthen me even in my time of greatest fires. And when you look at the great leaders and the men and women, or not even the famous ones, but the men and women who have been used by God, their lives are always surrounded by tremendous pain and difficulty as well as the blessing. The two always go together. 
And yet they have each learned internally to remain in his love. To remain in his love. To actually live in the reality that just this one verse, just this, just this one verse, if this is true, verse 9, if Jesus genuinely loves me today, on the 6th of August, 2017, if he loves me as much as he has been loved by the Father, he's not physically here, but he's here. If he actually loves me with the same intensity, the same consistency that my Father loves Jesus, then that is a game changer. That does mean that even when there are so many things beyond my control, that really is a place of tremendous, eternal, never-to-be-removed power. Put it this way, what I felt my father saying is, it's about time, Tom, you actually got grace. You actually understood the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of your Father in heaven. And so as I, as I sat there and, and felt the Lord saying, I'm not going to take these fires away, but I'm going to teach you over the next half of your life what it is to actually remain in my love. Not trying to live in the love that we get when things go well, but living in, an, in, a, in a place that Christ himself demonstrated. It starts and it finishes ultimately with knowing who our God truly deeply is. I don't mean just, you know, thinking that we know it, but actually living in a place of deep, eternal, God-given revelation that our Father, our Dad, if I can say that, our Dad genuinely adores us. He genuinely adores us. I wrote in my journal I felt led to write, actually, just some descriptive words about who the Bible tells us our Father in heaven is. Now, my dad will definitely at some point be listening to this sermon. And when you start to get on a revelation of who your Father is in heaven, you cannot help <laughs> but have to kind of compare and contrast what you've grown up with. So I want to say for my dad listening to this, I love you, Dad. I think you're amazing but you're not perfect and no one is I felt God say remain in my love realize this this is some truth it just came to me this is just from my personal journal about who our father is he's overflowing he's other focused he's smiling he's contented he's generous He's joyful, he's kind, he's fault-covering, not fault-finding. He is gentle. He's gentle. He is the Lion of Judah, but he is gentle. My gosh, is he gentle with us compared with what he could be like. He's peaceful. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. He's peaceful. He is celebrative. Can you imagine your father really celebrating something that you've done well in? I don't mean just for a moment. Someone asked me this question a couple of years ago, a leader said, can you imagine your father in heaven when you get something right, Tom? Like 
for a protracted, for a pr- prolonged period, just going, that's amazing, that's fantastic, that's wonderful. That's so, I'm so proud of you, son. And honest, even the question itself, I couldn't really even engage with. The idea of my heavenly father genuinely, for a long period of time, getting excited about a thing in my life, a, a moment in my life where I made a wise decision. I, I, it's alien to me. I mean, God's holy. God's amazing. And, but I, I, surely he can't actually be one who celebrates over my life in even things like that. He's consistent. He is protective. He's a lover of people. He's patient. He is self-controlled. He is unimaginably good. A.W. Tozer said, what a man or a woman thinks about God is the most important thing that you can ever have in your mind. Are we living our lives in an unhurried way, genuinely remaining in his love? Genuinely believing the goodness and the kindness and the generosity of our Father that every day he is proactively wanting to ambush us as we go about our normal domesticated lives, he is a God who proactively wants to, through a thousand different sources, come to us and express his incredible love for us. I don't think for 20 years of my Christian life, I believe that. I still feel like I slip back so quickly. What I'm trying to say is, if this is true, this is a game changer. And yet I live my life so often not remaining in his love. If there really is a God of such kindness and goodness who has done so much to demonstrate his extraordinary love for Tom Shaw, if that doesn't change me, if that doesn't genuinely deep down make me someone who is dramatically different to how I would be, then I think the answer to that question is I am not remaining in his love. And the whole point of this is it's not automatic. That's why he's saying it. He's saying, abide in my love, remain in my love, fight to stay in a place where the tape playing in your head, the main tape playing in your head, is this extraordinary love story over your life. The entire thing is about a God of unimaginable kindness and goodness. If, if our God was just holy, the Bible would be about a page long, right? The entire thickness of our Bible screams out rescue. It screams out, but God. It says he didn't just act upon his holiness. His love also shone through. The gospel from start to finish of this book is about a God who has come to rescue us. And so Jesus says to them, when change is coming more than ever in your life, and the things that you start, you, you've always looked to for some sense of comfort, he lovingly but painfully removes from your life. I want to give you a vision to walk through this and to see why I'm doing it. And some of you here today, you are in a place where there, there is pain because of change. And, and, and we've tried to medicate. We've tried to just get rid of it. And the Lord is saying, I want you to look at why that pain is there. What's at the root of that pain? 
Because for me, the other part of the jigsaw, the other thing that in this moment where the Lord was speaking to me about remaining in my love, starting to genuinely believe his goodness for me, in the same breath, I felt him also show me what Jesus actually does here, which he he gives us the the second key. There's There's the carrot to go after. There's the thing for us to pursue, accepting our acceptance. Lord, you seem to say this about me. Literally, you have to give me a spirit of revelation on this every hour, every day. So why don't we live in there? Why isn't this enough? Why isn't it that we are all just flying through our lives, overwhelmed with joy, because our God in heaven is mercifully kind? And and one of the major reasons is this, is that because we interact with other humans, what he says here is, is the second key to actually remaining in my love is not just knowing what I think about you and my love for you, but is then how you actually interact with this human world around you. And what he says is, seems so simple. He says here, he says this in verse 10, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now this is the deal. Father showed me, not only have I not been believing his goodness, but I had throughout my life put everyone into one of two categories. Rather than loving them in the way that Jesus says is the great secret, rather than loving one person at a time, what I have done for 20 years of my life is this. I have put everyone into either the category of superior or inferior. And in this moment where where because of the pain and the fires of change, everything was, I was thinking, Lord, why is there so much fire? Why is there so much pain? Part of it is inevitable, but a lot of it was because actually I was trying to still live the old story of my life. The lie I'd been believing for so many years, really, which was this, is that, Tom, the way that you feel loved is, you know, Jesus is here saying, Here I am, I'm the God of the universe and I adore you and I've proved it by coming to this earth, dying for you, rising from the dead, sending my Holy Spirit, spirit of adoption and preparing a place for you. Rather than living in that true story of now who I am as a a beloved son with Jesus, what I had done, where I'd taken myself out of the river of his love, where I wasn't remaining in his love, I was trying to live in a place of getting love from just about anywhere else, but the main place was this. If just those people who I would classify as were superiors in some sense, if they would just accept me, if they would just love me, then I will feel loved. And the really sick part is this, is that for me as a church leader, um, you have a certain kind of spiritual authority and almost a a God-given power, really, that he gives you. And in my head, I suddenly realized, do you know what? I have been believing this tape, which is, you can be loved, but the way that you feel loved is actually by having this kind of resume of this number of people who I'm responsible for. And so in those moments in my life, when I interact with some of the church leader or someone who I know, who I might classify as perhaps superior because, I don't know, they're kind of, they've got a bigger church or something in some way better, I can therefore prove my worth to them by saying, yeah, I'm now responsible for this number of people. And now this is, this is sick. This is 
this is not the heart of a shepherd. I'm repenting to you guys and saying this is a dark shadow that the Lord showed me. You understand? When you're doing that, and this is what happens, this is the way you can tell, because you may not be a, a pastor, but you, may, you will have your own version of this. The way that you can tell if you're not living in his love, but you're trying to live in the love of people, is this. Fear. Fear. You're constantly gripped with, have I done enough? Is this thing okay enough for that person to accept me? I think they've accepted me. I can't quite tell, but I think so. And what actually dominates your soul is fear. The other thing is anger. Fear and anger. You kind of flip between the two, or sometimes they just come together in a big cauldron of fear anger. You're just, you're constantly angry with people who you would somehow, or you, you're, you have a potential to be angry with, with those who are inferiors in your head that, that somehow make you feel like you look good. And you're fearful of those who you've empowered to actually either accept you or reject you. And you just spend your life with this tape going around your head. In a church like this, God's beautiful family and gift to you. But it's, it's, it's also a, it's a subtle channel where you can walk into a place of total comparison the whole time. Spend, your, spend our lives comparing ourselves. Exhausting fear. I tell you, coming... And giving up your, basically, everything and uh, coming to, uh, to, to this church, man alive, it, can sh- it, c- it will show up your insecurities. Imagine, just for a second, you know, you give up your house, your car, every possession you have, virtually, you're kind of, you're giving away. School places, all your family, everything, you're literally going. And I feel like the temptation can so easily be, what if I don't perform? Yeah, you know, there's a pro- if, I, if I'm rubbish at what I do, there's a bit of a consequence in terms of my job, you know? And that lie can come into your head. Even this week, I can sit in my, in my, in my life thinking, oh, my first sermon at Radiant, I've come 6,000 miles, it's been about 300 years in the making, and massive build-up, you know? And I know, I know how... F- rubbish I am. I know how average I am in every conceivable way. I know it. You know, but, but you can, I can see in my heart with, with my family the temptation to be snappy and angry. I need more time. Shh, I don't want to go and swim in a lake. I've got to go prepare this sermon. I've got to get it better. Now, you'll be pleased to hear I didn't do much sermon prep. I actually was. I tried to be a dad and just with them because I thought, you know what? I think that's actually for me what my dad is saying. Trust me. Trust me, even if it's a stinker, to quote Anthony who spoke last week, even if it's a stinker, I'm still a son of God. Hallelujah. I'm still loved by him. My acceptance is actually not ultimately based in you, although I love you and you're amazing. My ultimate acceptance is beginning to be more and more in believing the truth that he actually loves me. And what he does is he lets you fail deliberately. He will let you be disappointed in people deliberately so that you go, oh, that really hurt. Why did you let me down? I thought you were going to build me up and accept me so I could feel like I'm okay. And you've just subtly hurt me so that our Father can go, why are you caring so much about what that person thinks anyway? You're not called to... See, what happens is when you're living not in his love and you're living in people's love, this is what happens. You, you either fear them your superiors, or you need, or, or, and you need them, 
or you ultimately use, use your inferiors rather than one by one loving someone. I don't need them ultimately and I'm not going to use them. I'm going to love them one person at a time. And that is, that is our call, hallelujah. That wherever you are, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, whether you're old, that is why Jesus says the great command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And the language there is just like, open wide that heart. Get it open. It's explosive language. It's not like careful language. You don't have to be careful. With your father, he will never let you down. He will never hurt you. He will never reject you. He will never do what humans do all the time which is have wrong expectations of you and then subtly either deliberately reject you or you think they've rejected you or whatever. And God says, no, 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 for Radiant Church, he wants us to be a people who are drenched in this extraordinary love of God so we can with maturity, one person at a time. You know, what a life calling. Who cares if you ever get anywhere near a platform? That's totally irrelevant. I'd be so happy if I never preached again. I really would. I do not rate myself at all. What I am called to do is this, is to experience his love, to genuinely prioritize it, to turn the radio off, to get in solitude or whatever it is that I need to live in his love. It's a command. Not because he's self-obsessed, but because he knows you cannot. We cannot cope without his love. If you're not living in his love, we can't do it. Joy will not come. And when we live remaining in his love and then one human at a time when you go to the petrol station how can I express something of the love of God to this one person with my toddler what does love look like for her right now that's magnificent what a vision for life it's not sophisticated it's not strategic but imagine an army of men and women dive into either places of poverty or places of, of prosperity with equal poise. I, am, I belong to my Father. I don't belong to you. Jesus repeated, I don't belong. I love you, but you don't. He wasn't controlled by people. He was free to be, you know, carried on shoulders and then lobbed off a cliff almost. You know, he was someone who was free. Oh, don't you want that freedom? I want that freedom for my life. You guys here in your teenagers, I, I want you to live. I don't want you to have 20 years of exhausting fear-based living, which is what I have done for so long. I don't want that for you. I want you to live immediately in the, in the glorious freedom that Jesus bought for you. I want you to be... I want this for my kids more than anything else. I do, you know, I want them to have a nice, neat family and all that stuff. I want all, you know, I pray those prayers. My deepest prayer for Daisy, Lily, and Poppy is that they would be intoxicated. You know, in the, in the, Song, of so in, in the Song of Solomon, it talks about, it's a, a wonderful, it's a wonderful book. And uh, it's a human level between Solomon and his bride-to-be. But that has for centuries been understood also to be an, an allegory, a picture of the love of Jesus for his church. And when you read it like that, it's, you know, it says, let him kiss me Woo, with the kisses of his mouth. When Christ came to this earth, he was the kiss of God. It 
it's, 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 it's when you realize that all romance here is actually a picture, a tiny, broken, very faulty picture of the romance of our wonderful groom, Christ, preparing you. It says, it says about the groom, he says about, he's talking about the, the, the bride, he says, one look of your eye and I am undone. Just one glimpse. He says that about you. And you're sitting there, some of you going, it's meant to change us. It's meant to change us so that we say, look, I, I, I want to fight so that the truth that you have spoken over me changes me. Oh, don't you want that for your life? You do, we do. We, and you may, you know, I was speaking to a mate of mine in the, in the pub a few months ago who didn't know Jesus. And, um, and uh, normally lots of guys go and everyone had bailed on us. It was just me and him. And he sort of said the, you know, he said the words to the effect, tell me about your faith. And uh, in, in England, that never, ever, ever happens, okay? That's like, what the heck? 2% of people go to church in England at the most. That's it. That's a very optimistic uh, estimate. So I just found myself saying to him, mate, think about this. If there really is a God, a 1% chance that there's a God who made everything... He's that creative and that powerful and he just sustains it with the word of his power. He just made everything. Every planet, every molecule, every hair on your head, everything. He just made it without even breaking a sweat. And yet not just powerful and creative but he adores you and he yearns to have relationship with you. If that's true, just even logically, that's kind of a big deal, right? And he went quiet and went, yeah, you're right. And his eyes filled up. He said, tell me more. And I did. We, we can either spend our life remaining in a fake kind of love. A, a love, a story, really, that I, I certainly believed. I think growing up, I just found myself believing this lie that if I could just be responsible enough then somehow I would feel significant enough. And when you realize, actually, you know what? As Christians, we're not primarily fathers. We're not primarily mothers. We are primarily children of God. We are not primarily responsible. Jesus was the Son of God. He is always the Son of God. He enjoys his Father sending him commissioning him, equipping him, giving him the blueprints for the next day. That's our model. That shifts things, amen? When we, when we drink in that love, what happens is we then start to interact with people in an entirely different way. So I want us to stand to our feet. And I'd love us just in the last few moments just to let our wonderful Father come and take what we've heard and massage it deeper into our soul. And, and I, wanna, I actually want to ask for a little bit of a response this morning. And um, a, couple of, a couple of ways we can respond this morning. If you feel like actually you resonate with what I was saying about just uh, maybe for whatever reason you spend most of your life 
kind of in the grip of performance, in the grip of some version of what I said, of this tape plan. You've, you've got to be better. You've got you've to be successful in that way, to be approved of. Maybe your parents growing up, they were wonderful in many ways, but just that kind of feel crept into your life and you're still, oh, yeah, that, 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 that's the tape that plays rather than the tape of this joyful, glorious Jesus who was so free from drivenness. I love what Dallas Willard, a great preacher and thinker, when he was asked, what's the number one word you would use to describe Jesus? Straight away he said, relaxed. I love that. He relaxed. He knew his father loved him, loved him, loved him. But if you would say actually today, you know, do you know what, Tom? I, I have, I've got my own version of that fear story play, playing so often. I'm exhausted by it. I'm tired. We're starting this whole new year and I'm knackered already. I'm tired. I, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond in a way. Just in your heart, get ready to respond. I'll tell you how. But maybe you're, you're someone who said, actually, I feel like I've been... I'd be more resonating with what you're saying about just kind of using people. Just subtly putting people into that category and not really loving them and cherishing them, but just using them. Which are two sides of the same coin. I, I want to, in a moment, ask you to reply, respond. And it may be you want to respond to both, <laughs> like me. If you're in that first camp and fear has been something that has gripped you, Right now, I want you to respond by coming quickly to the front. And the whole point is, your false self, your old self won't want to do that because it looks like you think you're failing. You're not failing, brother or sister. I think there's many, many, many in that category who say, yeah, today I am sick of it. I am absolutely sick of it. Hallelujah. Keep coming. Keep coming. You've come this far to church. You might as well get everything the Lord's got for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Wonderful. There's no shame. I'm the front of the queue here. I hate fear. Our Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He is the magnificent one and he absolutely adores you. And he wants to free us. He wants to free us. Trevor, could you come up and just tinkle a little bit, my brother? Thank you. Just as we come before the Lord. If you're here, though, and you think, yeah, I want to respond to having used people. And if you've come forward, you can respond to this as well. But all across this room, if you think, I've done that, and that's actually kind of been a bit of a pride thing in me, putting myself at the center. Just, I want you to kneel quickly where you are. Just humble yourself before the Lord. Such a helpful spiritual discipline. Humbling ourselves before the Lord. Hallelujah. Whew. Just quickly saying, Father, I know I've done that. I've done that. We want a church where there are no categories. Amen? We want a church where we do not put her into that category, inferior or superior. We do not want a church where class or social distinction or ethnicity or biblical knowledge or age in any way separates. You brought us together as one family. So right now, if you've responded and even if you haven't come forward, I just want you to, in these last moments, if you feel comfortable, why don't you reach out your hands with me? It's just as a family together. Ooh, our Lord is turning the soil. Turning the soil. You don't get response like this without the Spirit of God moving in hearts. <sighs> right, and I want you now, 
I'm going to pray, but I want you personally, in faith, to say, Dad, I find it helpful to actually use that word, by the way. Although I call him Father, and it feels strange calling him Dad, I personally feel he wants me to. With respect, as a holy God, you just, right now, in your hearts or out loud, you start to, in faith, run after him. Listen, it would break my heart if any of my daughters was not remaining and drenched in my human love for them. If they believed the lie that they were inferior to one of their sisters, oh my word, that would kill me. How much more does your father today want to minister to your hearts, friends? He is so good. So all across this room, from the front to the back, let's Let's run into our Father's, our Dad's presence. Say, Lord, right now, we, we accept your acceptance of us. I want you to be a little bit militant. As well as a family, we are an army. And actually, to seek first his kingdom. Let the king rule today. Don't let other lies rule. So you, I just want to ask you, have a Jacob spirit right now. If you feel like you've been robbed of a bit of your inheritance, don't settle for that. You've, right now, say, Father, Dad, right now I want to ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation as to who you are. I pray for such rivers of love and joy. I believe that the Lord is going to start to bring tremendous boldness to so many here. Some of you have, have not stood up to your parents in love and you're going to find grace to do that. Not in a rebellious way, but in a loving way because you will no longer be controlled by them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some of you are going to stand up to your spouses who you've been intimidated by and say, darling, I need to be honest with you. Hallelujah. Some of you are going to stand up in bold love with neighbours Mums at the school gates, kids that you're friends with. Whew. Beautiful, humble honesty, not needing the acceptance of them. Oh Lord, would you just let rivers of revelation flow into Radiant Church? Lord, our name, our name demands your presence. We cannot be radiant without your presence. And right now, if you're, I just want you to. Just to be active with me, if you want to put your hand just perhaps on the person next to you, remember this is about loving others. As you start to love someone, you remain in his love. It's amazing, isn't it? It's not just about you and Father. It's about you actually being a channel of his love. You get caught up afresh. You go from being a lake to being a river. There's no solitary Christianity in the Bible. It's about being a family together. So right now, as Trevor just leads us in a final song, I just want us just to just let his, his goodness invade your heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.